So this is sort of the setting. This is the parable. This is the uh, the obvious conclusion that they themselves who were hearing the parable understood that this was a judgment on them. And unfortunately, we must take it as a judgment upon ourselves as well. And um, or I shouldn't say unfortunately, fortunately, it's an opportunity for us to be honest with ourselves and honest with um, the again the fruits of the vineyard of our own soul. And St. Paul, in the epistle of Corinthians that we read this morning, he spoke of the vineyard also, and he said, you know, who, he who, who, who plants a vineyard and doesn't expect to receive its fruit? Well, in my life and in your life, who planted the vineyard? The Lord. We are, in a sense, our soul is the vineyard, and he planted it, and therefore he demands fruit of that vineyard. He demands from what he put into us in baptism and in the Eucharist and in all of the graces that we receive in our spiritual lives and his just loving providence by which he leads us and guides us in every moment of our life, he asks for fruit. And so maybe we begin by looking at what some of the spiritual truths are that this parable tells us about God himself. The first thing that we should perhaps meditate on is the generosity of God. The vineyard was equipped with everything that was needed to make it work, to make it bear fruit, to make it easy on those who were entrusted with producing through their labor the fruit of the vineyard. And, and this tells us that God has given us everything that we need for our sanctification. He has given us everything we need in order to bear fruit in our lives, in order to achieve the, the, the honor and the glory and the greatness that he desires for each one of us. We must always marvel at the abundance of God's goodness in our lives. We, we often grumble. We often feel that we have been deprived. We often feel that we've gotten the short end of the sick. We often think that, you know, when it rains, it pours, and usually that's only for me and not for other people. And in doing so, we grumble against the generosity of God. We grumble against the, 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 the goodness of God who has promised us that He has, in fact, given us everything that we need specifically for each one of our own unique paths to salvation. Another aspect that we see on God's part in the parable is His trust. God entrusted this vineyard. I mean, in fact, the parable says that He leads it to Binders and went into a far country. I mean, why say he went into a far country if not to sort of drive home this point that he wasn't sort of micromanaging, you know, in the parable, he's not micromanaging the, 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 the work. It doesn't mean, of course, that God is not intimately involved with our, with our spiritual work, but it means that he entrusts us. He puts in us his whole trust that we can do with our freedom what he wants us to do with our freedom. And this is, again, we're reminded of the, the parable of the prodigal son who takes that freedom and squanders it, wastes it. But what the Lord wants from us is to use our freedom in the way that is according to this great trust that he has within us. A third attribute that we might see in the, uh, on the part of God is his patience, right? He sends servant after servant after servant after servant, and then finally when he sees that there is no possibility 
that they will listen to his servants, he sends his son. He does, he keeps, in his long-suffering love, he keeps knocking at the door of our hearts. He keeps coming to us over and over again with opportunity after opportunity, with patience, with forgiveness, with mercy. But there comes a time when we have to face our judgment. And so God is sort of trying to barge into our lives before it's too late, before the judgment time. And that's what he does with this parable. He's not coming to punish them. He's coming over and over again, forgiving them. He should have, he should have received the fruit from the first servant that was sent. He should have certainly received it by the time he sent his second servant. And nonetheless, he waits and he waits and he waits until he sees that there is no more possibility for the human heart to return to him. And then finally, the fourth attribute that we see on God's part is his assistance. Right, which we might look at as his grace. Right? In the Old Testament, it was the law that guided them and governed them. And the prophets and the word of the prophets that was given to them to gently steer them back on the, on the right path. And it's the same for us. Of course, we have not been left without every, every kind of assistance that we need. We have his word. We have the grace of the sacraments. We have prophets and saints and teachers who rebuke us and who show us the way of God's love and also of His judgment. We, we have everything. God has not left us without the assistance that we need to arrive at our destination and to bear fruit in our lives. And He will never abandon us. He will never leave us as orphans. He will never leave us deprived of what we need in order to bear fruit in our lives. So, the, all of this is to suggest that God has done everything on his part. He has shown in abundance his generosity. He has shown us that he has given us fully freedom and entrusted us with that freedom. He has shown us that he is long-suffering and waiting to the very last moment. And he has shown us that he is providing us at every moment the grace and the power and the assistance that we need. So there can be no accusation against God. There can be no overcoming the judgment of God. And if we look at this in terms of the human soul, this, this expression really sort of caught my attention, that he went into a far country. And this, for, perhaps for, for us, we can see it as also the life of faith. Right? That sometimes God's presence is not perceived very sensibly to us. We don't him, we don't experience him, we don't see him, we don't touch him in the way that perhaps our senses demand evidence. And in this sense, he is in a far place. He has gone into a far distant place. But his, his vineyard is his vineyard, and his presence is, is, is still a reality. And so he longs, he longs, he desires for a response from us, from our human soul. The healing of the son, when they reasoned among themselves and said, this is the heir, let us kill him and take the inheritance for ourselves. This shows us again this problem of, of human freedom, which desires to misunderstand the purpose of, of what it means to be free. We think that freedom is, is often a sort of uh, a license to choose whatever we want to choose. But this is 
not the, the Christian understanding of freedom. The Christian understanding of freedom is to be a slave in the sense of being a slave to that which is best for us, so that we might be free to fulfill our potential and to arrive at our calling and our destination. I have said this analogy many times, the freedom of a musician is not to choose between good notes and bad notes on their instrument, but the freedom of a musician is to master their instrument through discipline and through suffering and through exerting effort so that they are free to play flawlessly the most beautiful piece of music. The freedom of an artist is not to choose good colors and bad colors, but the freedom of an artist is to be able to draw exactly what is in his or her imagination and inspiration. Right? So it's, it's, it's first an enslavement to that which gives us potential, that gives us life. And then we have the freedom to become who we are called to become. This is Christian freedom. And when we abuse this freedom, we usurp the place of God. What does that mean? It means that we take the place of God. We take what rightly belongs to Him and we attribute it to ourselves. Your being, your existence, and my being, my existence, does not belong to me. It is properly belongs to God, who gave it to me, and who requires it of me. We could say He lent it to me. Whatever expression you want to use to help bring that image closer to you. But my being doesn't belong to me. So this, this notion of freedom that is so prevalent in, in especially Western culture, that it is my body, my freedom, my choice, my decision, my life, right, is a very dangerous one in terms of Christian spirituality. So we, we don't blame those who are outside for having such a view. But what, those, what about those of us on the inside who have such views? and misunderstand what it means to be free in Christ. So, as one of the spiritual fathers said, the Father has made me a steward over myself, and interiority is the space where I do the work assigned to me. So, I'm a steward of my soul. I'm a steward of my eternity. And the interior of my life is sort of the field, or the workplace, or the vineyard that I that has been assigned to me to go to work. God has given me a heart that has been touched by His grace and His salvation, and He has asked me to tend to this heart. And He says, this is the area in which you must work. And so He summons us, right? As in the parable, He summons them to responsibility, to accountability, to dependency. He summons us through, again, through the Word of God, through His saints, through the prophets. He constantly is summoning us to repent, to convert, to change our ways, to redirect our ways, to, to analyze the, the, the path that we've chosen and to make adjustments along the way. And He warns us, unfortunately, we must come to the reality of, of this month and this today's Gospel, that there is, that there is, a judgment of the human soul. And this judgment, of course, is, 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 is done under the most beautiful mercy, the most beautiful love, the most beautiful compassion, but nonetheless, there is a judgment. Father Zacharias Zachary says, whoever voluntarily and continually judges himself in the light of Christ's commandments becomes stronger than any other judgment. So he tells us that 
And this is, of course, receiving what the Gospel tells us in many places, that when we judge ourselves, we are free of judgment. When we continually judge ourselves under the light of the commandments of Christ, then we have overcome, we have become stronger than any judgment that can be levied against us, even the judgment of Christ himself. We, are, we stand with boldness and we proclaim our, we, we proclaim our justification because we have judged ourselves in this life. And of course, you know the saying, there's no free ticket in life. But in the Gospels, there are a couple of free tickets. And one of them is, judge not, and you will not be judged. But the other one is, is if we judge ourselves, right, then we free ourselves of the judgment upon ourselves by anyone else. So, one of the, 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 the distinctions that's made in the Gospel today is, the owner versus the steward, right? You and I are not owners of our soul, we are stewards. We are not owners of the church, we are stewards of the church. We are not owners of the sacraments, we are stewards of the sacraments. And this thinking, of course, on the part of the religious leaders of, at the time that Christ was speaking this parable, shows this contrast, right? C.S. Lewis, the famous English writer and apologist, he said, once that the devil always tries to get us to think we are owners, not stewards. He wants us to say, like a whining little baby on its most selfish days, mine. It's my life. It's my work. It's my money. It's my family. It's my future. It's my Sunday. Mine, mine, mine. Okay? And again, this is the, uh, the warning for us today is to uh, be honest with ourselves about the stewardship that we have been entrusted. Uh, the accountability is part of that stewardship. Right? To be responsible, to be a steward, if you are hired as a manager, as a director in a company, you know, to oversee a store, not only are you given responsibility, but you must have accountability. And God demands this accountability not because He is severe, but because, again, when we are accountable in this life, we don't have to be accountable in the next life. When we are accountable at this moment, and at the moment that my soul departs my body, I don't have to give accountability. I have already done it. There's a, and sometimes, you know, the Lord sends us um, warnings. He sends us slaps on the hand, you know. He sends us sometimes uh, earthquakes in order to shake us out of our slumber in order to make us accountable. And one of the stories that I'm sure I mentioned before, Elder Porphyrius, uh, that wonderful modern Greek Orthodox saint, uh, who had such a gift of clairvoyance, such a gift of fear sight into the hearts and, and uh, people, and uh, a prophet of God in many ways. Uh, there's, a, there's a really powerful story about one time he was walking with some of his, um, his spiritual children, to, they were walking to a monastery. And as they were walking, the elder became a little bit weary, became a little bit tired. So they sat down for a while. So the, the spiritual children of Elder Porphyrius said, just rest, Abba, and we will, um, we will try to find a ride. And, and they saw from a distance a taxi cab was coming. And so they said, Abba, we will um, wave down the taxi cab. So he said, no, 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 it's not necessary. The taxi cab will stop. You don't need to wait for them. 
Well, sure enough, the taxi cab stopped and offered to give them a ride. So the elder was sitting uh, in the taxi cab with the other gentleman. And uh, before he got in, he told his spiritual children, and he said, none of you are allowed to speak to the taxi driver. I'm the only one allowed to speak. Of course, now they're a bit confused what's happening. Don't wave down the taxi cab, don't speak. The elder has something in his mind. So when they got into the taxi cab, the, you know, the, uh, the driver began to make small talk. But the small talk was all criticism against the church. Things that were written in the newspapers against the clergy and scandals and all kinds of negative things. And he was going on and on. He was kept asking the, 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 the lay people, he's like, don't, don't you agree with me? Isn't, it, isn't this how it is in reality? And of course, what did the elder tell them? You're not allowed to speak. So they kept quiet. He got kind of frustrated. So then he turned to Elder Porphyrius and he said, okay, Abba, tell me, aren't these things true? Don't you admit that these things are true? And listen to what the elder said to him. The elder said, my son, I will tell you a little story. Right? It's exactly like, you can imagine Christ telling this story to the disciples in the earshot of this parable to the religious leaders. I will tell you a little story. I will tell it to you only once, and you won't need to hear it a second time. There once was a man from a certain place that he named the city, who had an elderly neighbor with a large property. One night, he killed him, and he buried him. Then, using falsified papers, he got hold of, his, of this elderly neighbor's property and sold it. And do you know what he bought with the money that he got from selling the property? He bought a taxi cab. The moment the taxi driver heard the story, he was shaking. Then he pulled over the car because he couldn't drive anymore and he started to shout, Don't say anything, Elder. Only you and I know about this. And the Elder Prophet said, No, God knows about this. And he told me to tell you, change your life from this point on. So, often, of course, maybe such a, a dramatic event like this doesn't happen to us in which somebody clearly speaks um, the Word of God. But I remember, I just thought of uh, another story that uh, reminded me, of, and I know you know this story if you've heard all the Tanzanera stories, but one time there was uh, um, two monks from the Russian church in New Mexico, who uh, the abbot of that monastery I've known for some years, and when he comes sometimes to California, he stays at my home. So, and he had with him a, a novice, uh, an aspirant to monastic life. And it, they were spending the night uh, at my house, and the following morning, I had liturgy on Friday. This was when I was praying at St. Marina's. And so they wanted to come and attend the Coptic liturgy. Uh, with me at St. Marina's. So, they were uh, on, the, on the men's side, and Tanzimir uh, was on the women's side. They, I never spoke to them about Tanzimir, I never said anything about her, but she was there. And on a Friday, like here on Wednesdays, you know, it would be 15 people, 20 people maximum, 
After the liturgy, Father Silouan came to me and said, who is that woman? I said, oh, that's Tansamira. She's a big blessing. He's like, there's something very holy about her. Can we talk to her? Sure, so I brought Tansamira. I introduced them to Tansamira. And then I could see that they were sort of mesmerized. Of course, we all love Tansamira. But I was surprised. What is it that in the, in the two hours in liturgy that sort of flowed from her that they perceived that he's called a silhouette? So he, then he asked me, he said, can we go visit her? I will ask her, but I'm sure she will be more than happy to receive us. So I told Zemira that these two fathers from Mexico, they would love to come and see you. So she said, of course, any time today. So I took them in the afternoon, we were sitting, and I found them they kept asking her questions about the spiritual life. And again, I was sort of in awe that this is the first time they met this woman, and yet they are addressing her, and he is an abbot of a monastery, he has spirit, he is guiding monks, and they are asking her questions about the spiritual life. And so at one point the conversation was about fasting. And she starts to speak to them about the importance of uh, the fast and being serious about fasting. We don't eat meats and da 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 And I let her go for a few minutes and then I, I interrupted and I said, you know, I don't mean to interrupt, but in their monastery, they're, they're vegetarian, they're all year round. So you're talking about not eating meat. I mean, this is, they do this all year round. So it's not really yeah, helpful advice. So she nodded and then she disengaged. She looked up, and she was, for about 45 seconds, a minute, completely disconnected from us. And I understood that she was receiving something at that moment, a heavenly message, perhaps. And then she turned to the novice, or she turned to the two, but, and her demeanor changed, her voice changed, she was much more somber, serious. And she completely changed the conversation to be about fasting from our tongue and the importance of silence. And then I found this young novice, he began to weep. He started crying. And I, I got scared. I looked at Father Siloan and, and he looked at me and we both didn't understand what was happening. And he just wept. And then, after we, we finished our visit, I took them to, to dinner. And while we were sitting, I, I, I had the courage and I asked the young novice, I said, I'm sorry to, to like, cry, but what happened? Why did you cry when she started talking about... And he said, he said, Father, I don't know how to explain it. I don't know how to tell you like what the experience was. He said, but for the first time in my life, I experienced God speaking directly to me. I experienced that God was giving this message to me in a very direct, personal, powerful way, and it pierced me, and I couldn't control myself. And, and this is how sometimes God breaks into our lives, through other people, through messages, through a verse that we've read a thousand times, through a line in the liturgy that we've prayed a thousand times. But this time, it's, there's a, perhaps, a, I don't want to say a warning, but there is a, an admonition for us at that moment. When we, the, the spiritual elders tell us that when we're praying the Psalms, when we're praying the, the prayers of the church, when we pray something and it touches us, 
So stop. There's a, there's a moment of grace there. Don't lose that, that opportunity to see what God is giving you at that moment or saying to you at that moment. Instead of feeling, well, I need to finish my songs, I need to finish my prayer rule, stop. And immerse yourself in that grace at that moment. Perhaps it's that moment that he wants to bring a tear of repentance or to enlighten you with some spiritual truth or to manifest a great love for you at that very moment or whatever in the manifold ways that God touches us. So the other thing that I'll end with this because I kind of went off script a little bit today but um, is forgetfulness. Forgetfulness. The, the problem of the, 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 the vineyard stewards is that they forgot. They forgot their purpose, they forgot who they were, they forgot their duties. And this is a sin that creeps in sometimes gradually to us who are the most faithful believers is the sin of forgetfulness, which leads us to this lukewarm love. Uh, Metropolitan Anthony Bloom uh, deeply respected Russian bishop in Europe who uh, wrote many wonderful books on the spiritual life. There's a book called Coming Closer to Christ. I've quoted from this book before. It's about uh, confession, wonderful book about confession and repentance. And he speaks about this sort of subtle sin of forgetfulness. And he relates it to the friendship that we have with Christ. So let me read this quote to you. He says, But more often we come to Christ after some kind of separation. Sometimes the separation was not a cruel one, not inimical. In other words, it's not a grave sin or some big betrayal. Sometimes the separation was because we have forgotten Him. Life has submerged us, and we didn't have time to remember Him. There was so much in life. And all of a sudden we remember that apart from all that was and all of a sudden we remember that apart from all that was our inspiration, our joy. For some time there is Christ, there is such a friend who never forgets us, from whom we walked away and who is now alone. Then we must hurry to him and say, Lord, forgive me, I was submerged by life. I was carried away by this and by that and by something else. Accept me back. You know that this enthusiasm is superficial, but that the true thing is our friendship. But before we can say that, Metropolitan Anthony continues. We must ask ourselves a question. Is it true that my friendship with Christ is deep enough so that the temporary forgetfulness cannot overshadow, still less destroy it? So this image of leaving our friend alone because we have forgotten him. We all know that feeling of being forgotten by a friend, by a loved one, by somebody that we hoped would be close to us in certain moments of our life. And he said, we do that to Christ. And so Christ felt on Gethsemane. Could you not stay awake with me for just some time? And then the last point I want to say is that the church helps to guard us against this forgetfulness. Why is it that the church has this cycle of feasts and fasts and readings and calendar uh, repetition and hours of the day that repeat themes over and over again and the same liturgy with the same text and the same prayers over and over again, why aren't we creative? Why don't we come up with some new themes? 
The answer is because we need to be reminded constantly, because we forget. Again, one spiritual father said, if the memory is the first thing to go, it must also be the first to guard. Our Lord has established the church as his continuing presence in the world. She is the constant reminder and living memory of, he, of, of who he was and what he did. Let us then heed her teachings and follow her instructions lest we fall into that dark and dangerous forgetfulness of God. So thank God that we have the church that repeats every day the same themes. Incarnation, death, resurrection, Holy Spirit, the Word of God repeated, repeated over and over again. The same readings, the same prayers of the, of the church, the same liturgy. Thank God. Because without that we would forget. And forgetfulness would be the beginning of our destruction. May our Lord grant us uh, a holy and blessed ending to this ecclesiastical year and also, of course, to our lives. May He guard our souls and give us the grace to always be fruitful in our lives and to Him be glorified out into the universe.